Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we continue with our series, Holy Hunger, Holy Hunger. Um, We will end this series next Sunday, so we've got today and next Sunday left. The first week we looked at the temptations that Christ faced while he was fasting in the wilderness. And I told you we all have to deal with these same temptations. Uh, It it was very specific, and and we have to deal with these same things. It it solidifies why, why Christ came to earth to go through the same struggles and pain that we have to go through and to teach us to walk victorious through all that. The first temptation is the temptation to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. The second temptation is the temptation to try and manipulate God to accomplish your will, not his will, but your will in in your life. And the third one is the temptation to do the right thing, but at the wrong time using the wrong method. Holy hunger begins when we curb those appetites. When we push back and, and fight against those appetites, that's where holy hunger begins. The second week, we focused on how unholy hunger, unholy hunger will cause you to place too much value on the temporal and devalue the eternal. Martha was, was focused on serving, and she was so fo- focused on serving that she was missing out on the presence of the Lord. Jesus was sitting in her living room, and she was missing out on it, but her sister Mary had it figured out. And she was gleaning at at his feet. She was just taking it all in, enjoying the moment with with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I also told you, like the the father told the prodigal son in the parable, sometimes he wants you to to be at the table with him. He he wants you in that moment with him, not not serving. And, And we are a serving church. As I pointed out last week, we are a serving church. That is one of the things that we do get right around here. And we will continue to serve. However, however, I believe serving is a natural byproduct of being in the presence of the Lord. And you cannot substitute serving for being in his presence. You've got to, you've got, and that's what this series is about. Holy hunger is about finding God and finding that, his, his, letting him invade that space in our lives. 23 years ago, when our twins were first born, as you can imagine, our lives changed drastically overnight. I mean, like, like that, just changed. And um, I don't know if there's, there's anybody in the room that has twins. I know in, in first service we had a, another family that has twins. And it, unless you, you've ever been there, you've never been there. Just trust me. It changed overnight. I mean, it was an instant change. The first few days were not that bad. I mean, we stayed in the hospital, and we had a, a nursing staff at, at our beck and call. And so that, that wasn't that bad. Uh, they were born on Friday, and then we eventually, we, the, we, I was going to say we, we got to go home. We, we were told that we had to go home right, on, on Monday. They were born on Friday. They said, no, you got to go home. And I'll tell you, we were two scared kids now with two huge responsibilities. We were 24 and 22 years old, and we were scared to death. I remember, I remember us driving home, and um, we had two car seats, obviously, and, and we had them in the back seat, and Mandy sat in the back seat between the two car seats because everyone knows when you have a newborn, you know, it, when it's your first one, when it's your, your second, third, fourth child, you, you don't care. You'll, you know. I was the youngest of four boys. I'm convinced when they took me home from the hospital, they just kind of threw me up in the back dash you know, and just said, good, good luck, we'll be home soon. And, but but you know, when it's your firstborn newborn, uh, you just kind of 
you know, you, you want to be back there. So Mandy sat right in between Caleb and Kendall. And we, we lived in Lake City, and they were born in Gainesville. And so we had to hit the interstate to go home. And, and that's exactly what we did, except for, for me, I got in that far right lane. And I think I drove like 25, 30 miles per hour. I mean, I had precious cargo in the back seat, right? A new young father, scared to death. And I just, I mean, cars are zooming past us. And I'm just, I'm just like, you know, 10 and 2. You know, I'm, just, I'm just focused on getting everyone home very safe. People ask us sometimes, they were like, what was it like raising twins? Is it harder to raise one or is it harder to raise two? And to be honest with you, we don't know the difference. We never raised one. We only had one set of twins, two kids. That was it. That, that was it because the doctors told us when they were born that because of the type of twins that they were, boy and girl and, and all that stuff, they said that our chances of having twins again were quadrupled. I looked at Mandy and said, I will be abstinent for the rest of our marriage. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Quadrupled. Have you lost your mind? So that, we were not taking any chances with that church. I mean, it was just, no, no. So we don't know the difference. We've never raised just one. We've only had twins. And, and so we only know what it's like to change two diapers at a time. For all of you that, that you know, you had that, that one child, you're such rookies. Mandy and I look at some of you and your struggles sometimes with one child. I'm like, seriously, yeah. Move over, move over. Let the pros come in and handle this. We only know what it's like to rock two babies to sleep at the same time. We only know what it's like to feed two at a time. And a baby, a baby is born knowing what hunger is. You don't have to teach a baby to be hungry. You don't have to, to show them what, what hunger looks like. They know that feeling. They know how to feel hungry right out the womb. They just naturally know when it's time to replenish their bodies with food. So they'll start whimpering and squirming. And if that doesn't get your attention... Then they will just let out an all-out cry, just like out loud cry. And when they're newborns, that cry is so irritating. You remember what it sounds like. Some of you, you're so far past that you forgot. Let me remind you. Is that not the most irritating sound? I'm like, Mandy, shut them up. No one feeds them. They just start crying, and, and, and it doesn't stop. <clears throat> and then it's up to us parents. It's up to us to make sure that the child gets the, the necessary nutrients in order for them to grow and to mature. We, too, when we are born into the family of God as newborn infants, newborn babes into the family of God, we too have a sense of hunger. We're all born with this sense of hunger. 
Even before your spiritual birth, you have this hunger. And I'm not talking about a a physical hunger. It's a spiritual hunger that we all have. That spiritual hunger is what led many of us in the room, if not most of us in the room, it led us to our relationship with Christ. Because we felt the Spirit of God drawing us and pulling us. And unless the Spirit of God draws you and pulls you, you can't come to the Father. And so we feel the Holy Spirit pulling at us. And we've got this God-sized hole in our spirit that can only be filled by Him. And we've got this hunger And we need the the proper spiritual nutrients to help us grow and mature in Christ. Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love the the word that Christ used there, satisfied. He says there's only only one thing that that can curb that craving that you have in your spirit. And you've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when you do, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says, then you will be satisfied. And church, this is what I call holy hunger. This is what I'm referring to in this series. Our spirits are hungry. They're starving. And when you're hungry, everything looks edible. It's the reason why I can't go to the grocery store. You know, it's the worst thing to do to go to the grocery store and go grocery shopping when you're hungry. It's a bad idea. It's awful. Mandy does most of the grocery shopping at our house. And I don't mind going shopping with Mandy, you know, and doing other things, but not grocery shopping. Because, and there's a couple of reasons why. One, Mandy, like, She's anointed to go grocery shopping. Like she, she loves it. It is a pastime for her. You can ask her. She, it's therapeutic. Mandy enjoys grocery shopping. I don't. Mandy will go up and down every aisle just seeing what's available. For me, I like going in and getting what I need, putting it in my little basket and going to the cashier and checking out and getting out of there. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's, that's how I am. But the other thing with me is, is when I go grocery shopping, I get hungry. And that is a bad thing. Because when I go grocery shopping, the only things I see, I don't see the healthy food. I, I start focusing on the Oreos. And I'm like, Oreos in the cart? Yep. Pop-Tarts. You know, the strawberry Pop-Tarts with, with the frosting on them? And, you know, I like my, my steak well done. But my Pop-Tarts, I like them raw. I am. I, I live on the edge, guys. I do. I like raw Pop-Tarts. You don't toast those things. Just tear open the package and eat them right there. And I eat all around the edges first, so I have the goodie. And anybody else do that? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a sickness. Fruity Pebbles. It's like they jump off the shelf at me. Then right next to them, there's Cocoa Pebbles. And I'm like, you can't have one without the other, you know? I, that's just, this, is, this is what happens when I go, sh- Little Debbie Swiss Cake Rolls. 
And I could picture myself in the grocery store. I picture myself eating that. You know, it's like four bites and I'm done. Two bites and I'm done. And then you have all the goodie left on the little cardboard part. And I, <laughs> I do, that's what I picture, guys. And, and I just, it's DiGiorno pizza. And I'm just filling the cart with stuff that's not good for me. This is what happens. As appetizing as it looks, it's not all good for us. It's inevitable, church. We are hungry. We are spiritually hungry. And everything looks good to consume. And we've got to be picky. We must choose carefully what we will consume spiritually because that void in our life demands attention. It is crying out. It is hungry. And unfortunately, we often fill those voids with things that do not promote spiritual health, ungodly relationships, unholy ambition, unsanctified desires. And these are the things that, 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 that we end up feeding into our spirits and into our souls and then we wonder why we're so spiritually malnourished. We need our vitamins. That's what we need. We need our vitamins. We, we need our vitamin D. Vitamin D, it gives us strong bones. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but your skeletal system, you need, you need your bones to be strong because your skeletal system, you know it protects all of your major organs. It's not just so that we can walk around you know, upright, straight, the way God designed us. I mean, that's important. We need that. I mean, think about it. Without a skeletal system, we're just a blob. But it's specifically designed to protect all of our major organs. In our spiritual walk, we also need strong skeletal support that protects all the vital organs, including a heart for God. And when we're not feeding our spirit the right nutrients, when we're not feeding our spirit what it needs, our support, our skeletal, spiritual skeletal support becomes weakened. And so we need spiritual vitamin D. We need the four Ds, actually. I mean, that's, that's what we need. We need the four Ds. I, I, I'm not going to preach on it, but I just want it's, to, it's a good time just to, to review that for us. If you go through Discover Destiny, you'll learn these in details, but we need the four Ds to grow into the men and women that God longs for us to be. We, we, we need to discover a, a relationship with Jesus and, and begin a relationship, a walk with him. We need that. We, we need dependence. We need to, to learn to depend on other believers in order to build relationships that last for eternity. We need to develop and, and, and grow in God's word and become disciplined in our Christian walk. We need direction. We need to find the direction that God has for us and, and learn to serve and get involved in the ministry. That's what we refer to as the four D's of destiny, but there's a fifth D that we, we, we don't teach about. And shame on me if I've neglected this. But there's a fifth D that is so important to, to us growing and maturing and thriving as Christians, 
And I'm afraid sometimes that, that we're too malnourished in this area. Luke chapter 19. I want to read verses 1 through 10. It, this is a very familiar story to, to many of you. If you grew up going to Sunday school or children's church, you, you, you've heard this story before. We even have a, 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 a song that children sing about this particular story in the Bible, this encounter with Christ. Luke chapter 19, I want to start reading at verse 1. It says, he, he, he is Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was an, a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was, was a man of short stature that gained great wealth by cheating innocent people with overtaxation. Tax collectors during that first century in, in that region of the world, they were, they were frowned upon. The Jews especially didn't like tax collectors, to which Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Because tax collectors, they were hated by the Jews because they were considered traitors because they were Jews who were working for the Roman Empire. They were doing the dirty work of Rome. Rome had in, invaded that land, and, and they were calling the shots. And so they recruited men that, that, that had no problem at all stabbing their brothers and sisters in the back and overtaxing them. And so many Jews, they, 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 they hated the tax collectors. As a matter of fact, numerous times throughout Scripture, they, they put them in, in a group with sinners. It's, it's tax collectors and sinners numerous times throughout the Bible. They, they couldn't stand it because they were sellouts. They were traitors. They were turncoats. They did not appreciate tax collectors. And it was common knowledge to those in first century Palestine that, that, that Jewish tax collectors would collect more than what the Romans required. You see, they didn't get a, a tax letter in the mail like you and I would get. A statement saying, this is what your property taxes are for the year. No, they just had to go off whatever the, the tax collector said. And so these tax collectors would come in and they'd say, you owe X amount of dollars knowing that it shouldn't be that high, it couldn't be that high, but, but they couldn't question them because they had the authority of Rome behind them. If you refused to pay your taxes, all they had to do was call the Roman guards to come and take you and, and you would be punished. And so these tax collectors would go in and they would... They would tell them, you, you owe 
this much to, to Rome, and it was always set higher than what they actually owed. And Rome would allow these tax collectors to pocket that money. Whatever it was that was over that tax bracket, they could just keep it for themselves. So, of course, the Jews hated them. No doubt that this greed and desire had infiltrated the life of Zacchaeus to the point that it stunted his growth. I'm not talking about his physical stature. I'm talking about his spiritual stature. It stunted who he was and who God wanted him to be. This greed that had overtaken his life. It, it, it put a lid on him. It kept him from growing spiritually. It's hard to connect with God when you live a life submitting to the cravings of unholy hunger. The fifth D that, that we must have present in our lives is desire. Desire. And I'm not talking about a desire for unholy cravings. That comes natural. The moment you were born, you started craving things that are unholy to fill that space, that void that I talked about. We should desire to be in his presence through worship. God designed us this way. God designed us to pull up to the table and to commune with him, to eat with him through our worship and our prayer to him. It's amazing to me sometimes how during a worship service, how one person on, on, on one side of the room can be so touched and so moved during a worship service, even to the point of tears. And in that moment, they feel the tangible presence of God in their lives. But on the other side of the room, same service, same song, same atmosphere, another person, all they can do is think about what they want to eat after they get out of church. And it doesn't touch them. It doesn't move them. What is the difference here? And the difference comes all in the approach and how you pull up to the table and choose to partake or not. You see, everybody in this room, every single person in this room, you can get as much out of a worship service as you put into it. Because if you're willing to pull up to the table and, and to eat, to sup with him and he with you, if you're willing to do that, he is faithful to meet us here and we should desire to meet him here in this place, to be in his presence. But life has a way of creating a hunger for things that distract from what is necessary. And we fill that spiritual hunger with things that have no business being there. Some are harmful and should absolutely be avoided, but yet there are some that are not necessarily harmful, but they should never replace our need to be with our Heavenly Father. I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you, that there are times in my life standing in this room that other things that are not necessarily sinful but they have filled my thoughts they have invaded that space that only God can fill and they're taking up room 
and I don't enter into his presence. Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians, he told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10 and 23, he said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And I'm afraid sometimes we just walk in and, and we're so full of so much other stuff. Man, if, if, if you're tuned into the news right now, I know what you're full of. And I'm standing on a stage behind a pulpit today and I can't tell you what you're full of. But you're full of it. Because you're letting that invade your space. You're letting that become the cares and concerns. And, and we just sing about it. We just talked about it. Do we really believe that he's got the whole world in his hand? Because if we really believe that, you and I are going to be okay. If we are Christ followers, we're going to be okay in the end. I'm not saying that we don't stand for what we believe in and we don't stand for the things that are necessary, but church, don't get to the point. Don't let it invade that space to where you start disconnecting from God. That you don't pull up to the table because all of that space is filled with, 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 with stuff that's not righteous. And you miss out on an opportunity to be in his presence. I'm afraid sometimes we also get so caught up in what we deserve or what we think we're entitled to that we forget that no matter, no, no, no matter what, there's always more. We're never satisfied. It's that hunger that I'm talking about. And, and, and there's always a newer and better model of the car that you just bought. I mean, as soon as you pull it off the lot, you're going you're gonna, to... I remember when I was a, a young adult before Mandy and I got married, I went to the dealership, the Ford dealership, and I bought a, a Ford Ranger, a brand new Ford Ranger. And, and I, I remember the, the next day, I walked outside and I went... Why did I pick that color? I regretted it the entire time I had it. I mean, as soon as I bought a brand new truck, XLT, I mean, it was the loaded package. Why did I buy that? There's always a newer and better model. There's always a bigger house. There's always someone who understands me better than my spouse. We're always hungry. There's always someone that meets my desires. Zacchaeus was the perfect example that money can't buy you happiness. Zacchaeus, he, he had the wealth, but he lacked the relationship, the void. He lacked the relationship with the only one who could fill that void. But now he, he found himself with a desire to see the man that everyone keeps talking about. The popularity of Jesus had, had spread. Jesus was becoming a very, a very popular man. People were hearing about him, him healing the blinded eyes, opening deaf ears, raising the crippled up so that they could take up their mats and walk. 
there was rumors that he had raised someone from the dead. And so the crowds are pressing in and, 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 and they've lined the streets to see Jesus. And, and Zacchaeus, out of, out of curiosity, he wants to just lay eyes on this guy that, that everyone seems to be talking about. But there's a problem. He's too short. And the crowd has already gathered up and down the road and he's just trying to get a glimpse of this man but he can't see over them. I wonder sometimes if, if, if we're missing out on seeing Jesus because of the crowd. Because of what is surrounding us. Life is crowded with, with worries and concerns. It, it's, it's crowded and I'm wondering if, if, if we could ever learn just to climb up above all of those cares and concerns, if we could just learn to get up above all of that, maybe, just maybe we would get a glimpse of Jesus. And more importantly, he would get a glimpse of us trying to see him. Zacchaeus climbs up the sycamore tree. And the most beautiful part of this story is that the most popular man in town as he comes walking down the road, people cheering his name, people celebrating. That, that man that heals the sick is here. He's here. That's him. That's who everyone's talking about. And he takes the time to look up into a sycamore tree and see this man of short stature, physically and spiritually, with a hunger and a desire to see Jesus. And Jesus stops, and he makes eye contact with him, and he says, Zacchaeus, today, I'm going to your house. What a feeling that must have been for the Son of God to invite himself to your house. I would not say that we eat out a lot, but we do often find ourselves out at restaurants from time to time, and sometimes it's just me and Mandy. Sometimes Kendall is with us. Sometimes we actually have, you know, it's me, Mandy, Kendall, Caleb, and our, our new daughter-in-law, Mariah. Sometimes I'm... I'm out to eat with our staff and sometimes I'm, I'm out to eat with, with friends that sounds awful doesn't it it makes it sound like my staff are not my friends but I remember when I was a teenager on Sunday nights we had church Sunday morning and Sunday night you know talk about commitment and dad made sure we didn't miss it and we had these things called revivals. Ever heard of it? <laughs> and they had a tendency to go all week. And if the spirit was really moving, they would extend it another week. And then another week. <laughs> I've went six straight weeks going to church every night as a kid. On Sunday nights after service, there would be a group of us that we'd all go out to eat together. And we'd often go to Shoney's. Anyone ever heard of Shoney's? There's a whole generation in the room that has no idea what Shoney's is. They, they have no idea. I think there's like three left in the nation probably. But. 
We'd all go to Shoney's after church, and it was, it was young and old. I mean, we, we invited everyone because all of us teenagers, we'd invite our parents to go with us because we knew if they went with us, they were going to pay for the food. I know your tricks. I know when my kids invite me. They're expecting me to pay. And we would get there, and, and many times on Sunday nights, they, they would put us all in this, this, this side room, this, this kind of back room, and they would just line up the tables, push two or three tables together, and sometimes there would be two rows of two or three tables, just a lot of people there. And they had this policy that if it was your birthday, you'd get a free dessert. And we quickly figured out that they didn't check IDs, they didn't ask, there was, there was no proof that, that was needed for you to get this free dessert. I don't know if it was just that particular one, but, but at this one, you didn't have to have proof. And so we caught on to it. And every week, me and another guy, we would, we would determine whose birthday it was going to be. Unsuspecting individuals. It, it was one of the greatest games that we ever played. And, and I know, I know management there had to think, I know it's not your birthday. I know it's not their birthday. You can't have a birthday every week. But they played along. And we'd point somebody, we'd go over to the waitress and we'd say, hey, you see that guy over there in the blue coat? It's his birthday. <laughs> it's not his birthday, but it's his birthday. We'd be at the end of our meal and all of a sudden you'd hear them start in the kitchen. And all of those waiters and waitresses would come walking out, holding either, like it would be like a big piece of chocolate cake or sometimes it was a big milkshake. I, mean, I always do this during the fast. I always talk about food. I don't know why, but... I've been pretty good up until this point. I'm getting hungry. But um, they, they, would come, they would come walking out, and they're all singing, happy birthday, and everyone at the table just gets nervous. I mean, it's like everybody's eyes, and I'm just smiling. They're like, yeah. And, and they're all nervous because they don't know who is about to be sung to. I mean, they're about to gather around someone, and they would just sing. We would laugh. It was, all, it was always a good time. But here's what I've noticed about gathering with a bunch of people like that in a, in a restaurant setting. It's hard to have intimate conversations around a table that big. You know one of the worst places to have conversations, by the way? No extra charge for this. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but Japanese steakhouse. It's like the worst place to go. You can talk to the person next to you, and that's it. Okay. Meanwhile, it's horrible. It's horrible to have meaningful conversations with that many people gathered around the table. I, I've noticed that if you want to have a good face-to-face -face conversation, table for two, please. If you really want to have a good, meaningful conversation, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's one-on-one, mano-a-mano, just, just, it's me and you. Had one of those with a lunch appointment this week, just, just me and one other guy, just sitting there having great conversation And Zacchaeus has the Son of God sitting at his dining room table, one-on-one, -on -one, just, just the two of them. And there's something that happens in a person's life when they make time to be with Jesus in an intimate setting like that. Zacchaeus could have very easily looked at him and 
down from the tree and just said, no, no, the house isn't clean. You can't come over today. Can, can I get a rain check? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got an appointment this afternoon. The timing is not right, Jesus. He hurried down the tree. He says, come on, come to my house. And now he's got the Son of God sitting in his dining room in his presence. And the very presence of Christ in that room, it causes Zacchaeus to take an inventory of who he was and who he had become. And I want you to listen to his words in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That tells you how rich this guy was. If, if I've swindled anybody out of anything, I want to restore it fourfold. There's a change happening in his heart. This is a holy hunger. Because this is what happens when we get in the presence of an almighty God. When we reach the presence of Jesus Christ and it's just one-on-one, -on -one, just you and him, just he and I, that's all it is. Something has to give, something has to change. And because he is holy, we become holy. And in that moment, Zacchaeus says, listen, I've got some wrongs that I've got to make right. I have swindled some people. I've got to make some things right. And Jesus says this in verse 9. It says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Just having Jesus in the room at the table. Listen, it didn't say a prayer was prayed. It was just being in his presence, being in that moment. He says, salvation has come to this house today. You get it, Zacchaeus. You understand it now. And all it took was this close encounter with the Son of God. Don't miss this, church. Stay with me. This is the beauty of worship. Even corporate worship. This is why it's so powerful for us. Because you can stand in a room full of all of these people. And if you will allow yourself to, you can lose yourself in that moment and everyone else will disappear because finally you find yourself sitting at a table with Jesus as you just sing his praise, sing his worship. Everything else seems to disappear. And some of you have never felt that before. And the reason why is because you're not desiring him and you're not pulling up to the table and you're not eating with him. Even here, in this room today, you can feel his presence. Not long after we moved into this building, I found myself having a bad week, like many of you. I was just having a bad week. I was, I was hurt. I was empty, depleted. I was lost, betrayed. You know the feelings. I'm not the only one that goes through this. And I was standing right there where I always sit on a Sunday morning. I was, I was just standing there, and the music starts. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't really want to be here, and I didn't feel like worshiping. But I'm the pastor. 
And I went through the motions for the whole first set of songs. I clapped my hands when we were supposed to clap our hands. I think occasionally I gave the one-handed. I'm just being honest with you. The Bible speaks about a sacrifice of praise. I'm not really sure it was praise, but it was a sacrifice. And, and I just went through the motions of it. And we went through the announcements, the offering, and we get to the second set of songs and worship begins. And the same thing, the music started. I raised my hand. I whispered a prayer. And I just thought to myself, man, I'm going to have to get up there today and just push through this. Because my heart is broken. I don't feel like being here. And they started singing the song that they just sang a few minutes ago, Champion. It's crazy how God gets your attention. So they started singing, and I raised one hand. And they got to the part of the second verse that says, You take the broken things and raise them to glory. I don't know if you've ever seen them, the Nicolas Cage movie. National treasure or not. But you know how when they're reading the Declaration of Independence and there's certain letters that kind of like highlight, you know, it's one of the, the, the great you know, special effects of movies or maybe you've, you've seen it on Lord of the Rings too, you know, where certain letters just pop out and you're like, oh. It was that moment for me standing right there when I looked up at the screen and I saw those words where it said, you take the broken things and it was like broken things was just highlighted to me it was almost like the background behind the lyrics was like pointing at me like you you're a broken thing and you raise them to glory God so it got my attention I wasn't there yet it got my attention okay God I hear you we get to the third verse of that song. And they started singing and it says, now I can finally see it. You're teaching me how to receive. And here it is. So let all the striving cease. Whoa. striving of my hurt. The strife associated with my betrayal. All the feelings that I, were, that I was having in that one moment, just that one line, it was like God broke it. And when he did, it broke me. I walked into this room with a hardened heart 
we sang that line. Let all the striving cease. The floodgates. It was like God reached down from heaven and just, just, just turned the nozzle on my head. And, and my eyes just started flooding. I mean, I could not contain it. I was bawling like a newborn baby who was hungry. Let all the striving cease. Because this is my victory. And in that moment, I abandoned every hurt, all the mishaps, everything just, just faded away as I just entered into the presence of a holy God who, by the way, is the only one who could fix me. Nobody else could do that. But he could. And he did. I'm convinced that this is what happens when we worship. I know that the scripture says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And, and I believe that. But, but let me tell you, we serve a very omnipresent God. It means he's everywhere. Everywhere. That should scare the living daylights out of you right there. He's everywhere. There's nothing hidden from him. He is everywhere. He right now is beside you. It's also a little comforting, isn't it? That no matter where I am, what I'm going through, God is right there. Here's what I believe that happens with, with, with an omnipresent God. I believe that when we open our mouths in true worship to him and we start letting the words out, that as every word comes out, we're creating space. As we let the words out, we're creating more space for him to invade with us. You want to talk about him standing at your heart's door and knocking? You begin to open your mouth and you begin to sing his praise. And he says, there it is. Now let me inhabit those praises. And he just comes in. And suddenly you find yourself sitting at a table for two. There can be a million other people in the room. And it's like it's only you and God and that's it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who else is in the room. It doesn't matter who else is next to you. It's only you and God in that moment. And the miracle of the whole thing is this. This is, this is mind-blowing. That while I'm sitting right there, and I open my heart to worship him in spirit and in truth, and he creates a moment for me and him, and it feels like nobody else is around, I've got all of, of God's attention in that moment. The crazy thing is, at that same moment, you can be having the same experience and there is not anything that he's praying or doing that takes any more attention off of me. God is all there. He is omnipresent. He is all there in that moment, all there in that moment, all there in that moment, all there. The Bible says that his thoughts are towards us. That means he's, in, he's thinking about each one of us as individuals. It's, it's not like we're all just lumped into like this one group policy. 
He is so great. He is so awesome that when we open our mouths to praise him, he invades that space and it becomes a table for two and you get to have an intimate moment with the creator of the universe in that moment because he cares for you. And he asks you, cast your cares on me. In that moment, cast your cares on me because I care for you. And there is no one, no one that can do anything to take his attention off me and at the same time he's got all his attention on you. And he says, today, I want to come to your house. I want to invade your space so that you and I can have a meaningful conversation. Away from the noise. Away from the crowd. Just, just, me, let's just me and you have dinner. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.